I'm Sally Tierney, the owner of Clear Path Forward, an advocacy investigation firm in Virginia. And I love listening to the PI Perspective podcast because Matt interviews so many investigators that bring their unique expertise to the show. I've learned so much from them and look forward to every single episode. Thank you, Matt. The Campbell Group offers best-in-the-industry pricing, service, and coverage for private investigators. With more than 25 years of experience in the industry and over 3,000 PIs insured nationally, the Campbell team has the expertise to make sure you have the coverage you need. Submit an application and receive a quote within 24 hours. Let us know on your application that you're an Investigator's Toolbox member and you'll receive $50 off your annual premium. Are you an investigative professional with an international problem you can't solve? Conflict International has the knowledge and relationships to jump in for you. We compensate investigators for referring cases to our office. Contact us today for details. Conflict International uses insight, intelligence, investigation, risk management, and strategic solutions to solve problems troubling individuals and companies of all kinds anywhere around the world. Whether you're planning to hire a person to a position of trust, carry out due diligence on a company, trace hidden assets, or require skilled boots on the ground, Conflict International investigators can seamlessly pursue a case across borders, offering a truly global solution. Find out about our extensive range of services at conflictinternational.com. Conflict International, global reach, international knowledge. I want to talk to everybody today about scopenow.com. Scopenow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time. And I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers. And it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is, is Scope Now is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and, and uh, looking for information, I think is one of the best points of how Scope Now can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you, you're spending on doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly, which is most important. One of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud. If you're doing a lot of fraud research, uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts. So you have uh, particular people that you're looking at, you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, is flagged and goes off. It's really, uh, really amazing. And their relationship and association analytics are uh, top notch, really uh, cutting edge and really, really cool. When they brought that out on version three, it was a game changer. I mean, really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh, you know, having that relationship, you know, analysis is really, really something that's cool. You know, one of the other things about being involved with Scope Now is their ability to offer webinars. Their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really, really great content. 
if you're a member of Scope now, if you know who they are, or you've seen them around on LinkedIn, you'll you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out, and uh, they're, they're really staying on top of it. And don't forget, uh, any reports that you generate, you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on, and, and really make them look professional, which you know could equate to more billing for you as well. So. Check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox, along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that ScopeNow is a part of that suite. ScopeNow.com. Welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. Today, Matt welcomes back Arizona PI, Steve Mason. The guys discuss the importance of public records research, and Steve gives some great tips. It's another episode worth checking out, and we're glad to have you. So let's jump right in and join the guys. Please welcome Steve Mason and your host, New York Private Eye, Matt Spear. And welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spear, your host. Uh, today, we're uh, having a, a former guest back on. We did a, uh, a, a tag team last time he was on, but today we're going solo. Uh, my friend Steve Mason from Arizona, Mason Investigative Solutions, I think is the name of your business. Welcome back to the program, man. So good to see you. Thanks. It's great to be back, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. So if folks, uh, if you hadn't gotten to that older episode, because it's been a while, it's probably been over a year um, since we've chatted, we we did a whole accident reconstruction with a uh, with one of the uh, reconstructionists that uh, Steve works with. And it was a, a great conversation, uh, which we're not going to rehash today. Uh, we're actually going to talk about public records and the importance of public records. Um, Steve has, uh, if anybody knows Steve on like LinkedIn, you know that he likes to blog and he likes to just throw out uh, uh, ideas and discussion points. And and I really love following you, man. And, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about what you've been up to uh, since the last time uh, we were chatting. Yeah, so we've been really busy working on different criminal and civil litigation matters, uh, which is primarily our bread and butter. We don't do family law or privately retained cases. So um, just kind of making our way through the post-COVID environment, getting back in the court. And I uh, had a lot of old cases that have since started going to trial and fighting um, some new public records battles as of yesterday, which... Uh, maybe we'll get into today. So that's been kind of interesting. We're on a verge of new case law here with one of our current uh, active cases. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Arizona seems to be a hotbed for data privacy. Um, I know there was some DMV issues a couple of years ago, and it just seems like, you know, uh, some of those states out there in the West, like they really are pushing towards privacy and not uh investigators or, or anybody actually having access to information that's uh, that's out there. And, it, and what's the scary part about it is it starts to set the tone for other states, right? So it starts somewhere and then other states grab onto it and uh, it, it, now it becomes nationwide. Um, so what are some of the changes that you've seen? What, what, let's take it back to like post-COVID uh, that are starting to be implemented. So, well, there's actually been some new changes in California with dates of birth on court records and that's starting uh that's starting conversations here about what arizona wants to do and right. started pulling out a lot of our court records after uh, x number of years once their retention period is up they've been proactively removing them from the online aggregators they've been from what i understand they've been communicating with some of the databases that we all use telling them that they have to withdraw the public records that they provided if it's past retention and it's 
it's creating a big problem for us because a lot of our a lot of our cases, the retention schedules are pretty minimal. Some of the misdemeanors are only a year or two. Right. You know, you're talking about domestic violence. That's that's an important one to know about, uh, sure. particularly, you know, you're doing backgrounds. Yeah, so. it's it is really scary. We're we're kind of dealing with something similar here in New York. Uh, they're calling it the Clean Slate Act, right? Everybody's got their own version of it. You know, it's uh, everybody deserves second chances and and things like that. And and being the president of my state association now, like I'm I'm very intimate with a lot of those conversations <laughs> with the politicians and and why it's important to them. And I'm trying to articulate why it's important to us. Um, and and. Just last week, I'm having a conversation with my lobbyist, and he's just like, "Yeah, it's a losing battle, man. Like, we can sit, we can give them our position, you know, but uh, maybe we'll get a carve out if we're lucky. But don't count on it because they really, they feel very strongly about it. And it's, I'm gonna be honest, I got mixed feelings. I really do. Um, you know, for someone who does like backgrounds and and uh, you know, we make a living out of being able to provide this information. Um. It's important, right? But then feeling like, well, folks, should they pay their debt to society? They should really, you know, they've paid their price already. Do they continue to have to pay that price for the rest of their life? Uh, I got mixed feelings, man. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I fall in that same camp. Um, however, working on a lot of criminal defense, I see the importance for the litigation side of things right. to make sure that these defendants are getting fair trials because a big part of our job as criminal defense investigators is you know, researching backgrounds on witnesses, uh, in many cases, police officers that are involved in the case. Uh, I have one right now where we've discovered that the officer actually has seven warrants from an adjoining state mm -hmm. um, that were never disclosed. And, you know, having access to these records is the only way for us sometimes to verify that what the government's telling us is true. Right. Because a lot of the prosecutors are relying upon the police agencies to notify them about these records. And that's not happening. So when we don't have access, you know, there's no checks and balances as far as, you know, for criminal defense purposes. And that's that can be a big deal, you know, not knowing that a certain witness has prior felony convictions of dishonesty. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent is so important to be able to, you know, find that data and then verify that data. Right. Right. Trust but verify everybody in the industry knows that saying right uh and uh it's it, it's really uh it, it it's important you know and that was one of the points i was trying to make to uh one of the senators i was talking to you know like you know you're going off information that that you know that it's the truth or, or not the truth you know like you're you're just opening everybody up to liability um just not being able to do the due diligence you know th there's a reason all that gets done. I, I recall having a conversation in the last day or two with a recruiter I know who's in finance, right? And they hired uh, an executive, uh, C-level. And um, yeah, this person had a little bit of influence and uh, they came on board and they were refusing to do the criminal background check, you know, and they, were, they, were, they weren't refusing. They were just blatantly like putting it off, right? It was off for, for a couple of weeks or whatever. And they had actually hired the person Right. So now the person's on staff already and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, OK, here's my stuff. Right. And come to find that uh, the person, eh, they had some things, let's <laughs> just say. Right. And it's not now it's too late. Person's an employee. You know, like that opens a whole nother can of worms. Right. Like, you know, yeah. are we terminating I, this person because of this? It's like, what do you do? Right. It's crazy. 
I've thought a lot about the legislative strategy to this, uh, you know, because we're, we're having the same types of conversations that you guys are having, you know, with our associations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think there's kind of two main keys that I've been thinking about is one, I think we have to, you know, as a, a state association, you know, using the members kind of gather a list of you know, specific cases where there's been some type of harm that's been caused from not having these records. Right. And then two, if they are going to restrict access, such as in California dates of birth, maybe they institute something kind of like what we do with the MDD, where there's a permissible purpose for a private investigator to be able to see these records instead of just the blatant denial, you know, because MVD records years ago, back in, you know, the eighties, in most states, those were public records. Anybody could go down, pay their two bucks and get a driver's license address. And, you know, that's since changed, but it's written in the law now, you know, that private investigators for, if they have a permissible purpose, we can still access these records and get the full data for the most part. So I think, you know, there could be a balance rather than just this straight, we're not going to give anybody access. Yeah. And I think that's what it, what it comes down to. Right. And that's the, the, the middle ground, right. There has to be like, okay, well, this is a legitimate reason I need this for. It's not like I'm, I'm gathering all this information and giving it to a realtor now so they can go, Hey, do you want to sell your home? You know, <laughs> like yeah. you know, stuff like that. Like we're, we're not doing that kind of stuff, right? It's legitimate course of business, permissible purpose. You know, we're, you know, it was another point I was making, you know, like we're vetted through these data providers, right? They, they do physical inspections. They check to make sure they verify our licenses. Like they're, they're doing their due diligence on us to give us this information we're checking off a box that this is what it's for. What's the problem? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not going in, in anywhere, but uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta sell them on it. And a lot of times legislators, they, they don't realize that, right. That's the other thing too. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Okay. Well, that makes a good point. And this is why you need like NCISS is super important where you're going, you're talking to, um, you know, these uh, directors of communications for the senators and the senators themselves to, uh, let them know. So uh, we could probably do a whole episode on this, but but we're we're talking about public records here. So um, let's let's talk about like the importance of public records. You know, um, you know, offline before we started, you said it was probably one of the most important aspects of what we do. How do you incorporate that that public record search into the type of work that you do? Pretty much anytime I get a new case, I always put together an investigative outline. You know, even for the simplest of cases. And as part of that, the first thing I always try to determine is, you know, what public records are going to be needed for this case. And I just, I open a Word document, I just start doing a data dump with all the possible public records. Mm. And, you know, because I think a lot of us experience these long delays with getting records, which is maybe why a lot of people don't use them. So it's kind of request early, request often, follow up. Yeah. Um, so I, to me, I, I think public records is really kind of what separates the novice investigator from maybe the more experienced investigator, because you, you're going to find all kinds of data and evidence that you're not going to find in databases you may not find from talking with witnesses. And at the end of the day, you know, if it's a litigation matter, a lot of these records are self-authenticating. So you have great court exhibits and it's just you can articulate exactly where information came from versus maybe open source where you're. Hey, I found this on this open source website or this technique, but no one can really pinpoint how it was collected, who put it out there. Right. So, sorry, let's let's explain that for in layman terms here. The self authenticating. What what do you mean when you say that? So, you know, most public records, 
Well, I guess pretty much all the public records that we're accessing, they're coming straight from the records that are maintained by the custodian of records of the government. In many cases, they can certify these records as being true and accurate copies. You know, it's a record that's produced by a governing authority that's collecting this data versus just, you know, you pinpoint exactly how they have it, where it came from, how it was maintained, the security of the data. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going getting at that you get that letter of certification right so when if you go and you pick up a deed and it's got a you know a stamp on it a raised seal that says you know this is a fair and you know true and accurate copy of what they have on file there you know that's that's good that's as good as having the actual document itself right whereas if you're going yeah. to a third party you know go to zillow and you know find out who owns the property right like no <laughs> you need you need to dig a little deeper than that right yeah, and I've and I've had those challenges, you know, from opposing counsel or prosecutors on open source information. You know, they'll ask questions like, "Well, who owns the website? When did they put the data out there? How did they collect it? What what's the security of the data? How do we know it was accurately collected? How do we know it encompasses all the available data?" Like, there's serious issues, you know, with some of that stuff, and you know, it comes down to be on the lay of foundation if it goes to court, yeah. and that's what's great about these records is they're when they're certified, nobody even for the most part, nobody has to come in and testify as to the foundation of them. I mean, it's generally accepted in most courts. Yeah. The judges tend to get a little annoyed when they start asking for motions for that stuff. And yeah. uh, I know, I know in New York, they started sanctioning attorneys for, for that, like $10,000 fines for wasting. Well, you know, it del- <laughs> yeah. It delays the, the time, you know, the jury's time. If there's a jury there, yeah. it's expensive for, a defendant or a litigant to have to pay for their attorney to go through that process and that time. And yeah, most people play ball with it if it's certified. Sure. So what do you think are some of the the misnomers or, or, or some of the things that people don't realize the benefits um, of um, doing that little extra due diligence with, uh, with public records? I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? What do you think are some, like some of the, the, the benefits that people don't realize like hey like when you're putting this together like you should be using um this stuff like what what extra bump do you think you can get from it i i think you're going to find data that you just you're not going to find in other locations um a good example i had a um an injunction against harassment for a prominent individual here in arizona that was based on you know just some falsehoods and so i was asked to research the person who had filed the order and, you know, she, she had never been arrested. There was there was absolutely nothing in any databases. There was really no witnesses out there. Mm. And I did a calls for service at her house and a list of involvements on her name with the local police department. And I found out that in one year, she had over 200 calls to the police department alleging that her neighbors were doing this, that people were driving down the street, that, you know, just off the wall things. And basically it showed a pattern that she had some mental health issues. Yeah. And, you know, with a simple $5 records request in a couple of days time, you know, we had a master list of hundreds of times where she had falsely accused neighbors of different activity. And so that weighed towards her credibility when it went to this hearing and ultimately it was dismissed, which saved this person's career. Yeah. So you're going to find stuff that you just aren't going to find in databases or, you know, researching online. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I can think of like some building issues too with the, uh, the, in New York, it's HPD, right? The housing uh, preservation department, right? So when you have these uh, complaints about 
fire alarm systems or um, uh, the uh, fire escapes, right? So they're they're supposed to be um, looked at every five years. Like they, there's their building code that says that that they need to be uh, reviewed. There's filings that need to get done for all this stuff, right? And this is all public record, and you just got to know where to to look for it. So I, I remember I had a case years ago where uh, a part of a fire escape broke off, like a big part, like a hundred something pound part of it broke off as, as the, uh, uh, I think the inspector was actually on the, on the fire escape um, doing the inspection and a, a part of it broke off and it struck two people and it killed one person and uh, gave brain damage to another who was like, she was 28 or 29 years old college student, really sad case. Right. And, um, I, I went into public records and just went nuts looking for this stuff because the attorney that hired me was like, I don't even have the case yet, technically. Like, I'm going to pitch them tomorrow morning. Is there anything that you can give me quickly that I can bring to them and say, hey, we already started the investigation. This is why you should hire us. I'm like, I don't know. Let me see. Right. So I go and I look and I find that, you know, they were uh, like three or four weeks over that five year period of doing the inspection. Right. There's something. Right. And, and and it's all because like I knew where to look. I knew like, OK, here's my task. This is what I got to do. I need some historical data on this building. Where do I go for this? Right. And it's boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, I got a whole bunch of information. It wasn't just that there were some other things, too. And, um, you know, we were able to um, get the case retained because they, this person was like, wow, they were very impressed by the work that we did. So it's like little stuff like that right these these public record documents these can literally be million dollar documents for civil cases right you now it sometimes you identify additional defendants that you didn't even know about through these right. records you know i'm thinking of i had a trucking case a while back ago and you know the primarily the primary lawsuit was against the trucking company in this fatality and you know the federal motor carrier safety administration they have tons of public records available about trucking companies, their histories. And we got to look at it and we saw that their out of service history showed that they were out of service like 80% of the time when they were inspected. And at that time, the national average was like 19%. So they were, you know, four times at a higher risk for being out of service. And it led us to start looking at the broker who had brokered the job because they checked that same data to determine if a trucking company is safe enough to carry a certain load. Yeah. And discovered was the person who was in charge of that the broker was actually related to the trucking company so they purposely over uh, overlooked doing the background on the trucking company and that resulted in you know a mega mega million dollar settlement just finding that one record that showed that to identify the defendant i mean it's it's crazy it's crazy i mean for for those that do like in 18 wheeler cases like if you don't know what safer is you're not doing your job, <laughs> you know, like there's so much information <laughs> on there and it's intimidating looking. Through. Yeah. And they make it so easy sometimes too. like, you can download the Excel spreadsheets that list all the inspections, the violation. I mean, yeah, there's so much data to be had there. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, it's, yeah, and you, it's really for an investigator because it makes your reports very clean. You can point to specific records and, you know, you find those little nuggets like you did with the fire escape. You yeah. just made a client for life with your attorney. I mean, oh, yeah. that's it's just to this day, one of my biggest clients, you know? Yeah. And for you, it was just, you know, basic routine research, but for them, it was just 
they're in shock and awe when you're able to produce this. I, I laugh because, you know, it was at a point where I really wasn't that, well, I didn't have that many employees, right? So it was just me and like one or two other people. And this, the call came at like 5 p.m. And I'm just like, okay, guess I'm having dinner in tonight. <laughs> you know, like uh, I was in the office till, I don't know, probably midnight just working on that stuff. And, uh, you know, it was that, that little extra dedication of time and going through. And that's the other challenge, I think, when you start talking about public records and going down the rabbit hole, right? So, um, I have research now. I have a research team. I got people that are just dedicated to to doing this stuff. And and one of the biggest problems that we have internally with this is just how you know having that discussion. When is enough enough? Right. Um, and it, to me, you know, you talked about some things earlier. Workflow. Um, you know, sticking to the scope of of what you're trying to do. Like those are the things you got to hang your hat on, right? Okay. You know, what, what's the task? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to do an asset search. Okay. Is it really important to know that uh, this guy was arrested or, or has been in jail a few times? Yeah, it's good to know, but it's not, don't spend three hours finding the the rap sheet of the guy, right? Like making that yeah. determination. So you got to be really careful with time management, I think, right? Yeah. I think clearly understanding the goals of your client is, I mean, it's huge. I mean, we all get those really, really vague emails from attorneys, you know, Hey, we're kind of looking at this. Can you see what you can do? And it's, you know, you really have to understand, especially if you haven't worked with the individual before exactly mm -hmm. what, what is he or she looking for? What's going to move the needle for the case? Yeah. You, you gotta, know, you gotta temper, temper expectations. Um, yeah. You go down so many rabbit holes that pretty definitely. soon you're like this large bill and you didn't answer any of the questions. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the type of stuff that, it makes the owner of the business cringe. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to get a yeah. call on this. I know it, <laughs> you know, it's not, um, it's not good for anybody involved. And, and, you know, and your time is very, very valuable too. You know, we all have activities that we like to enjoy in family and, you know, yeah. so we want to work efficiently and efficiently. Yeah. It's they're, the they're, that matter. Work, work, workflow is definitely the way to do that. Um, I actually want to dig in a little bit deeper on that, um, but we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about workflow. You had uh, done a posting about um, identifying property ownership, and you gave some some bullet points, some some ideas to consider. And I want to go over a couple of those points because I thought it was very well written and, and there were some good points there. So we'll dive into that when we get back. Uh, everybody sit tight and we will be right back. Check out the PI Institute of Education at piinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. So we are talking about Crosstracks. Crosstracks is a sponsor for uh, Investigators Toolbox and PI Perspectives. We've got Steve Mason here. Steve's been a, uh, a longtime client of Crosstracks. Tell me the benefits of uh, case management. For me, it's basically being able to keep track of every single thing that's going on with the case, whether it's notes, documents, sending or receiving new case information, you know, because clients can create custom logins, securing the data. From a business perspective, it's just, it's really the easiest way to maintain your data, to access your data anywhere. I mean, you can be on vacation and pull up a case note remotely, securely, even just tracking how many cases you've worked for a certain client, how much money you build them. I mean, it's, there's so many tools that I just, 
I really don't know how you can get by without a, a case management system like Crosstracks. Yeah, definitely. And they are SOC 2 certified, which is important when you're working with insurance companies and, and protecting information that's uh, readily available there. If you're looking to take your investigative company to the next level, you got to be organized. And the only way you're going to be organized is using a case management system. And for me, hands down, Crosstracks is the one to go with. So again, they are a sponsor of uh, PI Perspectives and part of Investigators Toolbox. You receive discounts for using their services through, uh, through both those platforms. So check it out today and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Do you enjoy our podcast and the guests we bring you? Since 2019, Matt and his team have done their very best to give you amazing shows each week. If you feel like our show has helped you to be a better investigator, or maybe even inspired you to become an investigator, please let us know. We're looking for testimonials. Drop Matt an email with a recorded 20 to 30 seconds of you talking about this podcast. You can also email him something verbal about the website. His email is S at SatellitePI.com. And if you really feel blessed for having this content, consider supporting Matt and our show by joining Investigators Toolbox. You really have to see version 2.0. And at just 49 cents a day, it's a no-brainer. Now let's jump in to this week's episode. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Today, I'm here with my friend from Arizona, Steve Mason. Steve, welcome back to the program. Thank you. We are talking about public records. Yay. <laughs> I think you and I are kind of nerdy that we really have this love for public records, but most people are, have probably turned this episode off already or just like fast forward next. Um but it's, it's such an important thing uh, of what we do. We were talking about this a little bit offline uh, during the break um, of how, you know, it really sets the standard of the the level of work that you do, right? Anybody can, can hit a button on the database and pull out information. But, you know, when those leads run dry, knowing where to go or different ways to get things like that's what gets you that reputation of being somebody that gets things done, Um in, in in the industry. I know there's some researchers I lean on because I just know that they're going to take it further. Um, and that's a really important aspect um, of that, right? Having that due diligence, right? Yeah. You know, the databases, they're great tools. I mean, I, I use them all the time to point me in the direction as to where the record is going to be. You know, like if I run an IDI core and I see, hey, Matt owns this business. Great. I know there's a business registration record out there and you know, like in Arizona, that lists your email address that you used when you signed up for your business. You know, all this extra level of data that you don't get maybe from the database, but the database helps point you to that agency to start that search. So, you know, they really go hand in hand. I mean, it's they're amazing tools. These databases save us so much time and money and effort. Um, but they're tools, you know. Yeah, those uh, business records are so important, man. I, I can think off the top of my head, like, yeah, one of the things that we had coming out post COVID was um, all these doctors' offices, like MRI places. You know, people that took radiological images—they all went out of business, right? So somebody's got to be the custodian of the records. So now, like trials are are back and live again. It's like, yeah, we need to authenticate that MRI that we did, you know, in 2018. Well, I'm sorry, XYZ Images is closed. Okay, um, who's the principal? 
right? So now it's like you do, the business record will tell you so-and-so filed the paperwork. Their address was so-and-so. Okay, well, now I have an address. Like I can start hammering down on on contacting that person. Okay, yeah, I sold this. I remember we had one with an audiologist. Oh, I sold it to this person, right? And then I'm calling this person. Oh, I don't own anymore. These people haven't. It. It's like, who's got the freaking records, man? <laughs> and we were able to... to to knock it down and get it done. But you know, that it's, that's another example of how you can reverse engineer things and get what you need to do. And at the end of the day, we got what we needed. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great example of using, you know, records like that. And it's just, you see those a little finer details in records that you just don't get anywhere else. And right. I mean, it, or in so many days, I put things online. So and yeah. you know, the old adage of you had to go down to the, whatever government agency the request and you can do it right through portals now i mean it's yeah. becoming very efficient so here here's another issue that that you've come across right De- department of state um uh, service of process right you have a business that filed uh you know when they set up their business okay well here's my agent someone who's authorized to accept service okay well you've been in business for 25 years have you updated that information a lot of times, no, right? So you're doing your search and you get get the name and like that person is not there anymore. The business is not there. And okay, here we go. Let's do the exercise. Who owns the business? Let's track them down and find out who's who's supposed to get service. Because a lot of times too, an attorney will go and serve via secretary of state to gain jurisdiction and they don't get an answer and they get a, a summary judgment. And um, now it's like, what do they do? They don't know where to collect. They don't know what to do. Um, on the stuff and and you can track down these business owners using public records and be like, hey, um, here's your last chance. The attorney I'm working for is sending me here to say, put your carrier on notice so we can start litigating this thing or we'll just go the other route with the summary judgment that we have. So we've had a couple of those situations too where a, a business owner was not even aware that they were being sued because they never updated their public information. So, yeah, so Arizona's got a really interesting process. So like a lot of people will use different law firms, you know, will accept process on behalf of the business. So they declare themselves as a stat agent. And if they, in our state anyways, if they notify the corporation commission that they're no longer the stat agent, you have like 30 days to file your new stat agent. Otherwise they revoke your business. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that's, I that's see not that all the time where no. under status, I'll say inactive, administratively dissolved for failure to state stat agent or whatever. Um, but you know, most states probably aren't like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think New York, you're supposed to, you know, obviously when it changes, you're supposed to update it, but nothing's enforced. I mean, we get it with the condo associations all the time. You know, that's another one, right? How do you serve a condo association? You know, it, 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 like there's a way to do it. You have to track it down and request the information. It used to be, uh, so pre-COVID, you had to go to Albany. You had to have some, you know, had to know somebody up in that area who could run into you know, the, the uh, you know, state building and go pull that information for you, right? So then COVID hits and they're like, yeah, nobody's, nobody's coming in. Uh, you got to file your FOIL request and you're like, oh, Jesus. Okay, so here we go. This is going to be a year before I get this back right here. Let's file everything, right? But then post-COVID, somebody came up with a good idea. Why don't we just put everything online? So now it's all online. You just got to know where to look for it, you know? And it's, it makes things a lot easier. But uh, we're, we're yeah, seeing you know, such, right? as, as such a, you know, COVID was a real big pain, but it's it's really kind of 
uh, energize some of these government agencies to start thinking about doing things electronically, which I've seen so many police departments pre-COVID, you know, you had to actually mail records requests, and now most of them have online portals. You can communicate directly with the records specialists. Right. I mean, you know, so, it's much so, damage. So let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about police reports and the you know, public records most of the time um, and, and getting them and how to read them and how to glean information off of uh, police reports. Um, give me one or two things that, that you, you've seen on police reports that people should realize that there's additional information there. A lot of times, you know, if you're like, even on backgrounds, if you pull the actual report, you know, it's great to see, Hey, you know, Steve had a conviction for theft, but who was Steve with when he got arrested? You know, you start finding associates, mm -hmm. they list their vehicles on there. A lot of times there's all kinds of contact details. If they own a business or employment, mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of, you know, the police department collects a lot of data on an individual when they're arrested, you know, even a booking form, you know, as simple as that might sound, getting a booking form from the sheriff's office when they're booked, they, they go through the whole life history. You know, yeah. a lot of times you'll see prior criminal offenses and convictions listed down there. I mean, it's almost like a background check sometimes right. done for you. Yeah. There's a lot of information there. Yeah, definitely info. I mean, even off your basic police, like motor vehicle accident report, you know, uh, there are codes on there that indicate liability if you know where to look, at least in New York anyways, right? So there are codes to know where to look. VIN number obviously is on there. That's a big deal, right? What's the history of this vehicle? Um, yeah. There's insurance policy numbers. There's codes that are supposed to tell you who the insurance company is. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, depending on how thorough the, the actual responding officer is on filling the report out. That's super frustrating. Um, you know, like in New York, if it's an out-of-state plate, they're not required to put a code in on the plate. So we get these these plates that are out-of-state, and it'll give a policy number, but it won't tell you who the carrier is. So you're like, really, dude? Um, but then, like, sometimes you get officers, like, you know, someone's a vehicle represented by Progressive, right? So it's like, thank you for being thorough and doing your job, understanding that I don't have to put it there, but I'm going to put it there because it's the right thing to do. Um, right. I've had, you know, as somebody you know like advocating for my industry like every time i see a politician i'm like can we do something about police reports here without state vehicles um because we have a rampant problem here in new york with um uh, temporary tags temporary plates that are are fake or or stolen license plates and things like that so with the advent of technology and tolls no longer having to actually give bills or whatever you know everything's done electronically now oh you don't have easy pass no problem we'll just read your plate and send you a bill. Well, if the plate's fake or stolen, I'm going over that bridge every day for free, right? So that's one of the problems we have. And then taking a step further, I'm now running over grandma and I'm getting rid of that car because they'll never be able to trace it to me. So I'll just park it on the side of the road and leave. Um, so that happens a lot too. Um, big problem. I don't know if it's a problem in Arizona, but it's definitely a problem in New York. Yeah, it's a big problem here because the dealerships, they issue the temporary plates. You know, if you go buy a used car, a new car, they issue you a temp plate at the dealership. And so it's not actually issued, you know, from an MVD. So sometimes it's logged, sometimes it's not, sometimes they don't have the record. Right. Sometimes you get the dealerships that aren't processing their paperwork fast enough. So they keep reissuing new temporary plates to the same customer. And, you know, it's very, and they're easy to, you know, to forge. Yeah. You know, you know, you were talking about like police blotter information or, or, you know, those interviews and, and being able to find info. 
Um, it, it reminded me of a, a, a case I worked on years ago where somebody had witnessed uh, a person um, falling down the stairs to the subway. Um, and that particular person suffered a traumatic brain injury, got up, walked out of the subway, sat on a bench and died. Um, and the internal police report just happened to have, the transit authority happened to be arresting somebody when that was happening. And that person they were arresting was a witness. And um, we got that internal report where they had all these redactions all over the place. So who's this mystery witness, this, this perp who was <laughs> getting escorted to, to the precinct or whatever, who actually saw everything happen. Cause uh, you know, that was a question of whether or not it actually happened. Right. So we finally got the disclosure and they redacted all these things, but they used a really crappy pen to redact it. And you could read just a little bit, right? So the guy's last name was White. He lived in Brooklyn uh, and uh, he lived in apartment 3F, right? They're like, that's all I had. Um, and uh, I'm going through and I'm looking, I'm like, oh man, how am I going to do this? And, and it, paralegal's like, I've been working on this for months. If you can solve this, like you're a hero. So then I go through and he uh, starts talking about how he lived with his aunt, like Dorothea or some like weird name. So I was like, okay, so now I've got a two names, right? I got a last name white and I got a first name really weird. Right. And then I've got apartment three Brooklyn. I'm like, let me look and see in the radius of that subway station, if I can find anybody. Right. And I'm, I'm just throwing a net out there. Right. Trying to cast it out and find it. Sure enough. I found the guy's aunt. And I'm knocking on the door and she's like, how did you find me? Like, how do you know this? You're like, you're looking for him. I was like, yeah, he's, she's like, he's at work. You know, he'll be home later. Just, you know, come back. I'll talk to you. And I got like an amazing statement from this guy. And it turned scratching her head. Like, apparently go, she's like, how, how did you do this? I'm like trade secrets. <laughs> you know, and going back to the databases, you know, that's some of the powerful tools right. you know, that the database offers. Cause sometimes you do, you get those nuggets, yeah. but it's just enough that you can start doing queries in the databases now. You know, right. and being able to combine them is just amazing. It was all about wild carding. The wild carding, that information solved that problem. And it's like, when you do it, you're like, yes, okay, this is why I do what we do. And uh, it, it worked out really well. Um, I did want to get into the uh, identifying property ownership, just covering a couple of bullet points. Um, so basically, you're talking about workflow, right? Workflow is um, is important. Um, and I'm going to cover these six items that you put um, here, right? So location of incident, uh, work with the client to identify the exact location of the incident, if at all possible, obtain actual GPS coordinates, right? So so ob- obtaining GPS coordinates is really, really important for property ownership. Um, sometimes people write down wrong addresses. I've had that happen too on, on like a FOIL request. Um, yeah, like I, I see this a lot with commercial properties sometimes, you know, like say a parking lot, you may have multiple multiple owners that own different sections of that parking lot because over time the properties were pieced together. So, you know, if you have say a slip and fall or something like that in a parking lot, knowing exactly where in that parking lot may determine who actually owns that parking lot or that portion of the parking lot. I had one not long ago at a large commercial kind of open air strip mall. And there was like seven different property owners, depending upon where you're at in that parking lot that, you know, this property had been basically stitched together. And so you had to know, hey, who's the exact defendant on this? Because, you know, you could sue the wrong person and go all the way through, you know, your statute of limitations could expire before you figure it out. 
That, that, yeah. You got to love those phone calls. Oh, you told us it was so-and-so. And, you know, there's two days left on the statute of limitations. We got to find the correct answer. It's like, God. Why did yeah. you sit on this file for three years? Come on, man. You're killing me. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and, and just for the investigator, I think, you know, from a male practice standpoint too, that, that protects you, right? If you can get your client to say, Hey, this is exactly where it happened. And it turns out to be wrong. Yeah. You know, at some point that's on them, but right. you know, I've had a lot of calls over the years with attorneys wanting to look into male practice suits against PIs for providing erroneous information that led to the destruction of a civil suit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and those things come up, it's like, well, what was known to the investigator at the time, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's, there's, uh, you know, version a version C and version B is probably what happened. <laughs> you know, like there's always three sides to every story. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, we've, we've all seen or heard about, we get calls from other attorneys, you know, and they're like, Hey, well, the prior private private investigator did this, or we read a report and we're like, Oh, that's not very good. But we always have to look at it from the perspective of, we don't know what information they were given, what their budgets were, what their tasks were. And so maybe their product was really great for what they were provided with. You know, we just don't know. And we got to keep that in mind sometimes when we get absolutely. Absolutely. So the second point here is the County GIS maps. So what what is a, a GIS mapping program? Most of the counties, or at least in the state that I'm in, they have these master uh, these master uh, county plans where you can search. Basically, the whole county is broken up into parcels, right? So you can literally take any address, owner information, GPS coordinates, and you can put them in this, this GIS map, and it'll tell you the exact parcel. It'll pull it up. Mm-hmm. And so you can identify the exact parcel number of whatever the area of interest is because that parcel number is going to give you all kinds of additional information about, you know, who owns it, who pays the taxes on taxes, it. Where yeah, that was, that was my next question. Like, do you use yeah. that? You know, that is a key, man. Like you want to find out who owns a property like you, that, that it's almost irrefutable. Who's paying the tax on it. That's <laughs> probably who's a, yeah. right. And that's a great way to determine if a property is a rental, you know, because, well, I mean, like, in Arizona, I mean, a lot of our, probably like 30% of our properties are rentals in some fashion. And knowing knowing that up front is, is sometimes really important. Yeah. So a lot of times I just, I go right to the tax bill and I'm like, okay, it's one, two, three Main Street, but the bill's being sent to this address. And sure enough, that's, you know, the person's address who owns it and it's a rental. And so yeah, lots of good info. Yeah, we, we run into those issues here in New York with, uh, um, liability, right? So you have an accident happen at a particular location. And if the person actually uh, who owns the property lives there, there's a set of rules. And if it's a, a rental property or commercial space, there's just a different set of rules. So it's like trying to determine, you know, which way to go on that, you know, when you have, you know, someone doing repair work or, or renovation. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you may have multiple insurance policies because of it. You know, you may have a renter's policy, you may have a homeowner's insurance and policy. So, I mean, all those different things can come into play. And yep. just that little bit of information back to your client allows them to explore those options and potentially take the case to an area that it could have never gone to, you know? Yeah. So, so I don't do much like investigative work anymore. I'm kind of running everything, but the last uh, public record search that I did, uh, was probably like a year ago, maybe. Um, and it involved me spending a couple of hours in a, um, uh, the building department 
of a, a small town uh, in Rockland County, New York. And uh, going back on the historical data of a particular piece of property, um, that some renovation work was done and a guy was injured and they were claiming that they, the owners were claiming that they live there and um, that it was zoned a certain way to, um, or, or they were trying to, they were trying to turn it into a commercial property um, guy owned a business. He wanted to run his business out of there, but it wasn't zoned commercial yet. Um, although they were trying to do th- some things, it was like back and forth as to what the real story was. And I spent like hours going through and just finding the old certificate of occupancies and the old complaints. And it's like, if you know where to look and you know how to really hammer down, like so-and-so neighbor called and complained, blah, 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 that they were doing this or this and that. And it's like, County issues, warning, stop doing this, you know, like this and that. Right. And then like the attorneys, like they have their position of, of what they're doing here. And then all of a sudden you find all this information. They're like, uh Oh yeah, we didn't do our due diligence. <laughs> like, you know, like the guy who I'm working for is ecstatic. He I, I made the case for him. And uh, I, I remember he was so angry with these people that he spent like extra money, like his own money to do investigative work because they were lying so like hard to him and he knew he had him. And I'm just like, I'm like, are you sure? Cause it's like, this is going to cost you extra money. He's like, I don't care. He's like, screw those guys. We're going all in. I'm like, okay. Um, but you I know, what's interesting too is sometimes in those small little towns, you actually end up getting information from the records clerks helping you because they know the people yeah. or the businesses. And sometimes you end up almost getting, I don't want to use the word informant because I don't think it's prob- probably the right word, but you end up getting this little extra tidbit of information because, you know, these there's still this rural America out there where people know everybody in their community and it's... Um, I think third you know, party witness is probably better than informant. <laughs> it's just a civil guy. Yeah. Well, like I had a, here. <laughs> in a case of probably a year ago, it was suspected that there was some real estate fraud going on. So I would go to this county recorder's office to get some records that this uh, person who wasn't a realtor was filing. <laughs> it was one of these you know, changing the, the titles without the owner's permission type thing and then posting for sale, collecting money, but never actually owned the properties. And sure enough, this lady who was working at the counter knew this person and gave me all this extra information about her that I would have never known, you know, other than just going there and just having casual conversation as I'm flipping through the records. I mean, it's, yeah. That's the fun part about the job that that we couldn't do during COVID, right? And you're like, oh, yeah. is it really fun? Yeah, I love to socially engineer things. You know, yeah. I love to kill people with kindness. I love getting a little extra from somebody because, you know, I was able to engineer it. Like, that's the challenge in what we do. It's fun. Um, yeah. You know, and here I am, like, I'm talking to you, I'm doing this podcast, and I'm, and I'm recalling all these old circumstances and old things I did. And then, like, that was life for me when I was out there doing this all the time. I, I lose those stories now because I'm kind of managing things. But, uh, man, it's like, uh, it makes me want to get back out there and start doing some research. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's it's really, I love it to me. It's, it's the old kind of gumshoe still, classic detective work that's never going out of style. And it's just... And you make good relationships too out there with some of the records clerks, you know, next time you have a something, they remember you sometimes and not that they're giving you special favors, but sometimes they go that extra mile to try to research a record for you that oh, yeah. normally they stopped. Yeah. And it's just, I've even had referrals from <laughs> records departments where 
someone has called me and like, oh, hey, so my mom works at the police department records and she said you're always in here filing records and that you might be able to help us with this type of a case because you do lots of research and yeah. you just never know. I mean, it's just, know. And, and these folks are just, I mean, they're amazing human beings that are working in these departments and you just, you get to know them and, you know, they're, they're very knowledgeable and sometimes they point you in other directions too, you know, yeah. if you don't know exactly what, where to look, you know, you just ask them and, and they'll yeah. help you. I had a, a, a situation once in the in the Bronx, uh, in the courthouse in the Bronx, where there was like a sub, subpoena record room guy that was just like, he was the meanest dude. Like I, I'd go in there and I'd see him just yelling at people, just grumpy all the time, like the worst. And I was like, that's my guy. I'm going to work on that guy. Right. And I, it took me a while. It took me maybe a year of just being nice to the guy and just talking like, oh, you like Star Trek. Okay. Let's talk about Captain Kirk and. And uh, Spock, you know, live long and prosper. Let's chat, right? And the guy became very friendly with me. And man, he would do me favors. He would, hey, what do you need? I got you. You know, and there was another situation with the clerk once where they were um, were in a, a school ring. And I'm, I look at the school ring. I'm like, this guy's like my alma mater. You know, like we went to the same college together. Got it. Oh, your class of whatever you were there. Oh, we were we were there about the same time. I'm like, I think I remember seeing you in the cafeteria. And this guy went from just being sour and just saucy to like, hey, Matt, what's up? What can I do for you today? What do you need? You know, it's like <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? You 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 miss it. I miss it. Yeah, there, there's there's a level of magic there, and it's it's just hard to describe if you haven't been in those situations. But uh, yeah, those are those are the in and ins and outs of public records. So I want to touch on one more point before we wrap up. Um, FOIA requests, right? And uh, we had talked earlier offline also where you're like, oh man, I have like several hundred FOIA requests open right now. Like it's nuts. And that's just the reality of it. Um, I mean, there's always the hide behind COVID. It's taking us longer, you know, type of stuff. Um, but the importance of case management and having the ability to manage and stay on top of those things. Um, I'm a big believer in cross tracks. I use them. Um, I'm, there are other options that are out there. Um, across tracks works the best for me. And I, and there you have the ability to like make case notes or reminders, task reminders. So when you have stuff like that, you need those reminders back, you know, to follow up and, and do things. What's been your experience? Yeah, I, I use cross tracks also. I've first started with PI direct link. And then at some point, I don't know if they got bought out or they merged, but it all became cross tracks and I've had them since the beginning and it's, I talk to people all the time about case management systems because a lot of PIs don't think they need it or, you know, or maybe up front there's that initial cost and they're, you know, if they're doing the costs, you know, you have to control those. But I, I could not function without case management. I, to me, it's just, it's a necessity. And, you know, just even from a security standpoint, you know, not to say cross tracks is the end all be all, but even just from a security standpoint, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like stock type two. I mean, I'm not like a tech nerd with what all the, all the security means, but I know it's, I know it meets my insurance's requirements for securing data. And it's just, you're right, but there's a lot of great uh, task management tools there. Uh, I love the, the making the notes because sometimes these cases do go for a long time and you're juggling maybe 20, 30 cases and having that quick little chronology that you can pull up you know, you're in the field, you can pull it right up on your iPad or your phone. It's yeah, it's, it's definitely a game changer. I mean, cross tracks is, is definitely, I mean, they support our program. So uh, please, uh, if anyone's listening, 
uh, go check them out. <laughs> it's always good for, uh, for what we do. Um, but it is a game changer, right? that, that ability to stay on top and just keep on track uh, of things. Um, and sometimes like, uh, it's not just that FOIL request. It's the follow-up to the phone call. Like, Hey, uh, I, I filed this request back then and it said you, you would respond in you know, 40 days or whatever. And, you know, it's been 80, you know, it's like, oh, okay. All right. I cleared it off. What's the, what's the case number? You know, so like sometimes you got to do that extra due diligence to get the, uh, uh, get the ball moving on that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm always setting task reminders for myself to follow up with these records departments. Cause they, most of the time it's just, it's a processing time, but every now and then they do, you know, accidentally close out your, your case without notifying you, or they send it to the wrong email address and it never gets to you. And, you know, so you definitely have to stay on top of it. It's, it's a nightmare, but you know, it's just, it's one of the necessities of the job and you just have to get organized with it. Right. No, definitely. Definitely. All right. So I think we're going to wind down here. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming on and um, you know talking about this. And and again, uh, I recommend everybody to, to hit him up on LinkedIn and follow him. He's always throwing like good information out there. There were, there were a couple guys in the industry that you're like, yes, I want to follow their LinkedIn's because they're, they're posting about stuff and keeping everybody up to date. Uh, Steve is one of those guys. Um, so I definitely highly recommend it. We'll have it in the show notes, um, you know, his contact info. Uh, but again, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Uh, thank you everybody for uh, tuning into this and uh, we'll catch everybody next time on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for checking out this great episode. We hope you picked up some tips for searching public records. Thank you also to Campbell Insurance Group for sponsoring our show. Remember to tell them you listen to save 50 bucks when you apply for insurance. Additional thanks to the PI Institute for Education, Satellite Investigations, and Conflict International for sponsoring our podcast. Also, don't forget about investigatorstoolbox.com. You can type in version 2.0, 25% to save $50 when you join. If you have a question or a comment about the show, just email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll be back soon with a new show, so make sure you tune in. Please stay safe out there.